0: the Beef Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension beef educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to take a break from our usual format of discussing Beef Watch newsletter articles. Today, we're going to discuss a recent research project conducted at Utah State University in the Department of Applied Economics. And Dr. Ryan Fates, as well as Logan Havlin, are those who've worked on this project. Thanks for joining me today, guys.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Well, why don't you just lay the groundwork for us a little bit about this project. We're going to talk about livestock risk protection today and an analysis you did looking at coverage length and looking at what would be optimal in terms of a contract selection. Uh, You did that going back over 20 years. So first, give us a little background around the project. Why did you do it? And maybe also just a little bit of history on livestock risk protection insurance so folks can understand what the product is today today versus what it was when it initially was launched.
1: Perfect. All right. Well, this project on our end started well, a couple of years ago, I'd say. Logan uh, joined us here at USU as a master's student in applied economics. Uh, he was looking for a project, looking for an advisor. I had recently started working on some risk management topics with my role as a uh, kind of an extension economist in the area. And LRP was something I was attracted to. Uh, we have some cow-calf producers out here in this region that I think it's a particularly good product, well suited for them. And we had pretty limited research on it, and so it was something that I was looking forward to to get to to dive into to do some type of actual analysis to get some numbers behind it to try and help producers make informed coverage decisions. So I kind of floated the idea to Logan as he was kind of shopping around our department as looking for an advisor. Uh, I told him this would be one topic that would be of interest to me and that I thought he could do some good analysis for. Uh, Logan agreed, uh, and we set off on kind of this journey that we're ongoing. Logan just finished his master's degree, graduated this uh, past May, and he's going to be starting a PhD. And as he kind of working towards starting that PhD, we're trying to finish up more research on this side. So we're kind of an ongoing project that we're excited about, but I'll kind of let Logan dive into the specifics of the the paper that you, the reference that we published in the Western Economics Forum that discusses coverage length, level, kind of the optimum contract strategies that that we looked at.
2: Yeah, and just to uh, kind of explain a little bit more of what the the Livestock Risk Protection Program is, it, it started quite a while back, back in 2003, and one of the things that makes it, really unique for a lot of producers who want to manage their risk is before that they were kind of limited to a few other options. Mainly people would use futures contracts. And while they worked really good, they, you didn't really have as much flexibility in how many head you would insure. you always had to meet that special, that contract amount, that 50,000 pounds for feeder cattle. And LRP is nice because it is a lot more flexible in that you can insure as a little as one, one animal up to a, a certain amount. So you have a lot more flexibility, especially with smaller producers uh, wanting to still get the benefit of risk management, but they may not have as many cattle that they um, want to insure. And when it started out, they didn't really have very high participation rates. It was pretty, pretty low for quite a while. Um, and that went up until about 2018, 2019 is when they actually made some pretty large changes to the program, uh, specifically the, the subsidy structure of the program. Before that point, they just offered a 13% subsidy rate for all the, the different premiums you'd have to pay for the different contracts. And then after that point, they, they increased the subsidy and kind of made it a tiered level. So the higher, the coverage level that you would choose, you would have 35% at the highest and that would go um, at the highest coverage level. And then the subsidy would increase as you got to, to other lower coverage levels. So that really increased the participation of the program. A lot more people found it interesting. It was a little bit more affordable. And so that really drove a lot of interest into the program. And we saw a lot more participation throughout that with our study, we were looking, as you mentioned at that different coverage length and coverage level with the LRP program, you can have contracts that range from 13 weeks up to 52 weeks. And so we kind of subdivided our analysis with those different coverage links. And then also with the different coverage levels ranging from 70 to 100% covering
0: of that price. So tell us more about the analysis. Obviously, you got data going back 20 years. How did you break down the analysis. And again, for people who like to find the paper, they can go online and find it. But just give us a broad overview, kind of how you broke out your analysis in terms of looking at uh, what contracts have historically paid, which ones haven't, and just how you looked at that over time.
2: Yeah, we looked at the different lengths and levels and we grouped them into the different links were, were easy because they have from 13, we looked at 13, 17, the 21, 26, and the 30 week lengths. Um, those were the ones that have been most offered. Those were the ones that producers were most using. So we got those and then further subdivided those into the different coverage levels that we had five different levels. Um, we kind of connected them with the different subsidy rates that were offered. So you'd have a, a coverage length level of a 13, 1 would be a 13 a week contract that was at that lowest coverage level percent, the 80, around 80 to 85%. And then that went up to uh, a 13.5, that would be a 13 week contract that would offer a uh, about a 97.5 to 100% coverage level. So we we kind of subdivided all of the different, all that data that you said pretty much was 20 years worth. It was, it was quite a lot. And we were mainly looking at which contracts were, were optimal and the way that we kind of defined that optimal contract was something that would offer the the highest probability of a positive net return. Um, That was one aspect of it. And then we also wanted to see which contracts offered on average the highest net return. So that's kind of the way that we were defining what was optimal in those different contracts that we had. And we went through and did our analysis and had some pretty pretty good results. Again, that paper that you mentioned, people can look at it more online to see the exact details of it but we found that a lot of people were were already choosing the contracts that had that higher coverage coverage level those that you know the market would only have to, to dip a little bit and they would be able to to get that indemnity payment um, and those were were generally more optimal than not but we also found some really interesting findings with with the different levels in different months Certain uh, coverage lengths, different weeks, were more optimal than others. Usually at the beginning of the years, end of the years, we had a lot more of those optimal contracts we found. We found those more optimal contracts at that lower uh, coverage lengths and more toward the middle of the year, end of that May to August, uh, more of those optimal contracts we actually found were those longer lengths, more of the 21 weeks, the 26 weeks and 30 weeks, which was something really interesting that we found.
0: So as you think about the results, you broke it out by months. So basically you've got a January through December, you've got the length of the contract, and then you got the level of coverage. Those are kind of your three, three variables. I guess as you think about cattle producers utilizing the tool, and as you looked at the data, did you find that there were certain months where you saw a lot more activity in terms of where people would purchase contracts in the past versus others.
2: Yeah, we, we definitely did. Uh, we were able to actually get all the data for all of the past purchases, um, LRP contract purchases. And in Generally Found, most people were, even throughout the, the months, most people were choosing, on average, the lower coverage lengths. Uh, more of the 13 weeks, 17 weeks, most of the people were gravitating toward those lower ones. You know, there could be lots of reasons for that. Some of the reasons we thought of were, you know, it's it's kind of hard to think out sometimes 30 weeks in advance or longer. And so we think a lot of people were choosing some of those shorter ones just because it was you know, closer to the fact of when they were going to market their cattle, um, a little easier to remember. So kind of across the board, we found a lot of people choosing those those lower coverage links. Um, with LRP, it's based off of that that marketing month when you're marketing your cattle. So there definitely were were really high amounts in the August September, that some of those fall months, uh, late summer months, um, as well as there were quite a few in the the early early months of the year. Quite a few in the February March April months as well. There were pretty high levels of of activity.
0: So as you looked at your analysis and you found certain months had a greater amount of positive return. I guess this is one thing I had a question on as I looked at the paper and looked at the analysis. Were there certain times where people just hit what we call a major home run because they took the insurance and there was a major market drop? And so maybe it was you know a couple of years out of 20 where there was just a real high level of payback and that was real positive for that time frame, Or did you find that There was consistency in terms of, you know, over time, this month tended to have a greater number of indemnity payments, not just a one year or two year, but multiple years. I guess as you think about the data and you think about what you found, uh, what were some things around that that stuck out to you?
1: Those are some good good questions, and I'm not sure we have all the answers. That might be some of the kind of the future research that we're looking at, Uh, but I would say that Absolutely. This product, I would describe it as more of a true insurance product where producers really shouldn't be expecting, on average, to get a positive indemnity year over year. Uh, Just thinking about your, your car insurance, your homeowner's insurance, this is risk mitigation product where we expect to pay a little to have protection against significant risk. Um, So I think there, as we looked at patterns throughout history, we did see just as there's volatility in the the cattle cycle and cattle prices, we see that volatility in the the payback or the returns of some years. Producers received significant uh, positive returns from this product, meaning positive indemnity over their premium that they paid. Other years, it was more of a just a consistent, we're going to pay our subsidized premium. Yes, we understand that's going to be a a cost for us. But to me, this is a a minimal cost for significant risk reduction in terms of the, the price that they can expect to then receive when it comes time to market their livestock. So I think, you know, as we think about putting on kind of an extension hat here, thinking about what producers in my area have been talking about. I was just out last week talking to some uh, about this LRP project that we worked on. We've actually taken Logan's data and turned it into an interactive online tool that anyone's welcome to to use. Uh, it's great for educators, great for producers, other stakeholders in, in terms of uh, maybe even the ag banking side, finance side, helping their customers make informed decisions. So they can use this tool. It's on farmanalysis.usu.edu. The LRP decision tool helps you. You can just go in select what what commodity uh, you're looking to uh, to ensure in terms of either the feeders or the fed cattle or or the the hogs Uh, and then you select which month that you're going to be typically marketing your your animals and then you can go ahead and it'll populate some tables for you of showing you kind of a a condensed choice set if you will of these are the ones based on the historical averages that would provide uh, an optimal outcome, uh, at least based on history of these ones provide uh, the highest probability of a positive net return and the highest average net return. And so we think this is a powerful tool. And especially in years like this, where we're seeing some some strong upward uh, price movement, we're now into prices on the Fed or on the feeder side that we haven't seen in about 10 years at, when it was at the height of the, the price cycle back in 2014, 15 and So this, I mean, some producers are telling me, well, why do I need it this year? Why would I even consider LRP? To me, this might even be the optimal year to consider using the product of if you're at prices that we've not seen. in, I mean, we're almost at historical highs. This might be the time to consider, uh, like I said, a, a small premium that's going to be heavily subsidized by the USDA for big time risk reduction, where you can go ahead and get that that price locked in subject to just some minimal basis risk in your area. So I'm I'm not trying to sound like a salesman, but definitely these are conversations that I think are worth having with producers and those that are stakeholders of just helping them understand that even when the market's high, that's a time that we might want to be capitalizing on some of these risk reduction techniques.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate what you just shared there, Ryan, as I look at annual cow cost and I just look at data in terms of when cow-calf producers actually cover all their costs, not only their, their variable costs, but their overhead costs and can also have a return to labor and management. Uh, there's maybe two out of 10, three out of 10 years where that actually happens. Uh, right now, prices are at a place where that could happen if you were able to set a floor price. And again, the thing I like about livestock risk protection insurance is you set a floor price and you leave the upside open. So if markets go higher, you get to participate. But if we would have a black swan event or something that the markets would really drop significantly, you put a floor price on those cattle and and protected a margin. So I, I appreciate your perspective there on when prices are high, that actually may be a time to say, hey, let's spend a little bit and let's protect a high price.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you there.
0: So some of the other things I thought were just pretty interesting in terms of looking at this is, you know, based on your data historically, uh, sometimes those insurance coverages that were pretty close to the this price or what the actual price was when you bought the insurance had the greater probability of uh, actually collecting an indemnity, and sometimes that was pretty significant as you moved from that 97 to 100% coverage down. You know, say you're below 95%, uh, that did actually, in many cases, significantly change whether or not your premium uh, was actually covered by your indemnity. So just talk about that a little bit and what you saw as you look at the data.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. And we did see there was quite a significant amount that going from, as you mentioned, that, you know, that coverage level of a five that has you know, about 97 to 100, the four is pretty much that 95 up to that 97%, once you, you know, get past that, you see quite a kind of a drop off. And a lot of that we saw was, was stemming from, you know, how much that market, you know, that market volatility that we've been talking about, that, you know, sometimes you do have these really, really drastic events where the price really goes down and drops, but most of the time, you know, it's markets very volatile going up and down, but Mainly, we see most people being able to get that indemnity payment, that positive net return in that 95% and up, especially in the, the 97% and higher. That's where you know, the vast majority of those optimal contracts were found. And uh, a lot of that, I think, stems from that, that market volatility that, that we see a lot, especially with with livestock markets.
1: Now, I would just add, Logan, also that, I think it's important for those that are looking to participate in this product to understand what the pricing is based off of. And I'm talking about when they, the USDA puts out the contract offerings and it's going to give you a oh, this is the expected ending value. Well, the, because those prices are based off of the feeder cattle index, it closely monitors or mirrors the, the futures market. That's what that index is based on. And so I think when we talk about futures, we usually use the word efficiency, that the futures market is efficient. And I always describe that as meaning that it has everybody's sum total of expectations and information that's already out there is kind of cooked into those prices. Futures markets will be bid up, and down based on expectations and current events and news. And so I think that's a lot of what we see is that especially as you're getting closer, those shorter contract lengths combined with the higher coverage levels, it's kind of to be expected that we're not going to see large drops uh, if the if the market truly is efficient. And then it comes back to, as you mentioned, Aaron, the, those kind of black swan events or other large unpredicted events that would need to take place to drop us into a range where we're going to get indemnified at those lower coverage levels.
0: On something I'd like to circle back to also, which ties into this, Ryan, obviously the longer the length of the contract and the closer you are to the futures price that was traded uh, for near the day when you buy the contract, the more you're going to pay for that option or that, that insurance, because it's based off of options really is how it's valued. And so the longer out you are and the closer to the price you buy, the more the cost of the insurance will be and also the less subsidy you'll get for buying the insurance.
1: Absolutely. The USDA is very smart at making these, as they price out these contracts, and they understand risk reward, and they're going to understand that if you want higher coverage levels, that's going to require uh, added premium. If you want security for longer lengths of time, that's going to come with added premium. Uh, And then obviously that subsidy is worked into the structure as well.
0: So one of the things I think that kind of challenges me a little bit in just looking at your data, and this may be something, Logan, you're going to work on in the future, but as we think about risk management, and Ryan, you mentioned this earlier, and I appreciated this, you know, the purpose of insurance is that you hope you don't need it. You don't buy home insurance, you don't buy car insurance thinking, boy, I hope I get to collect on this. It's, you know, to protect you from a catastrophic event that could really be detrimental. And as, you know, as I think about your data and just thinking about also, you, know, you mentioned the 97 to 100% coverage, 95, basically 90 to 97, and then underneath that, as you think about the cost of the insurance and you also think about uh, you know, where does this fit for a producer, how do you think about that from a risk management standpoint where maybe I spend a little less money for the insurance because I buy insurance that's a little uh, less cost, but maybe not as much coverage, but... Then still protects me against a catastrophic event, but maybe I'm able to buy that insurance, you know, maybe twice in terms of the premium I would need to pay versus buying something that was more expensive. How do you think about that? How do you think about that as you looked at this data?
1: Well, I do think that we are going to look more into the cost. That's one of the things that we're hoping to add to our online tool to help that make. be a little more clear for producers using the tool is not just present historical average returns, but help them see, you know, also historically, this is what it would have cost the producer kind of out of pocket. So hopefully, we can, as we kind of fine tune our tool and continue on with our research, we're going to get that cost kind of uh, more upfront, more transparent. But as I think about it, as I've talked to, to producers, I think that, LRP, the great thing about it is when we talk about other risk management tools for producers on the, the price, the output side, as Logan mentioned, it's been futures options. The put contract has been the, probably the most compared risk management tool to LRP. But producers, I think, are would be well served, especially our smaller ones, to understand just the benefits that come with LRP in that it is a government-backed program that is going to be subsidized to premiums. There's some research out there that's shown that while put options provide similar protection, generally on average, we see that the cost of producer is a little uh, reduced on this LRP side as as that the premiums are somewhat subsidized by the government. Um, It makes it a lot more affordable, helps mitigate that kind of that cost up front, and then obviously provides excellent price protection.
0: So Ryan Logan anything else on this topic or anything else on the paper that you think would be of interest to producers as you look back on the work you did and and think about the value it may have for them as they think about risk management.
2: Yeah, I would say one of the uh, one of the things that we also tried to make sure we stressed in that paper is that these these are based off of, you know, historical data. We're not saying that this is you know, going to hold forever, things can definitely change. But it does give producers, I think, a really good idea of, you know, on average, in the past, this is generally what has happened. And again, as Ryan mentioned, it is that insurance product that we don't expect, on average, that it will be paying out, you know, every time you do it, but it is a really good risk management tool to help protect producers, when when the market does drop, you can be able to have that um, that risk management tool that, that can really make a difference in a lot of producers' um, production practices.
0: Well, Ryan, Logan, thanks for your time today. Thanks for the work you did and uh, for sharing more also about the tool that you've developed to allow producers to look at and to evaluate as they think about possibly purchasing a livestock risk protection insurance contract what may be uh, the best fit for them based on some historical performance.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, you can find the research paper we discussed today, Livestock Risk Protection, an Analysis of Coverage Length and Level to Determine Optimal Contract Selection. That can be found online. And then also, as Dr. Ryan Face mentioned, they developed a tool that you can find there at their website website, And again, you can find that through the Applied Economics Department there at Utah State University.